Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Tomorrow, Tropical Storm Dorian is making its way past Puerto Rico as it moves towards Miami, although I think the storm may dissipate by the time it gets to the continental United States. But it is going to touch, I think, the southern tip of Puerto Rico, uh, sending some wind and a lot of rain my way. Uh, But it's going to be nothing like uh, Hurricane Maria, although I think Tropical Storm Dorian is nothing compared to Hurricane Donald which I do believe is going to be ravaging the whole of the United States. But, you know, the damage that is going to be caused by Hurricane Donald is not really what Donald himself, Trump himself, is going to do, uh, but it's rather going to be what he is going to enable his Democratic Socialist successor to do. Because Donald Trump is going to so tarnish the brand of capitalism and smaller government and tax cuts and deregulation that he is going to give a Democratic Socialist president with a Democratic Socialist leaning Congress carte blanche to totally redo uh, the United States. Maybe the only thing standing uh, in our way, standing between us and complete socialism, is going to be the Supreme Court. You know, I don't wish anybody ill. I know Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, has got some type of pancreatic cancer. Uh, I, I, I would be really nice if she would just uh, resign and kind of live out her days at peace and allow Donald Trump to make one more a Supreme Court appointment before the end of this term, because that is probably the best thing that Donald Trump has done is at least put uh, some people in the Supreme Court that might actually defend the Constitution when push comes to shove, because push is definitely going to come to shove in a big, big way uh, in 2021 uh, when uh, a new president is sworn in. But I want to talk about the markets. But before I get to today, Let's talk about what happened yesterday or even Sunday night, because when I recorded my podcast on Friday, things were looking pretty bleak, I thought, for the U.S. stock market. I mean, we went out near the lows, and after the stock market closed, Donald Trump announced uh, new tariffs or increases in the existing tariffs, both those that are already in effect and those that are scheduled to come into effect. And this was in retaliation for the new tariffs that China imposed that were in retaliation for our new tariffs. So we were going tit for tat as the trade war continued to escalate, despite the fact that Donald Trump and everyone in his administration kept saying that things were going well and talks were going well, when it's obvious that the talks had already broken down. And that's why the two sides are, you know, uh, reaching for uh, heavier artillery 
in the war. But then uh, the rhetoric really stepped up. There were some news coming out of China that the Chinese will never surrender. They're going to fight to the end. Um, you know, uh, China has already lost America. So now America is going to lose China and all this stuff. And when the markets opened on Sunday night, the Dow futures were down almost 400 points or a little bit over 400 points on the lows. So things were looking pretty bleak at that particular point. And also, you know, uh, there had been a, a press conference and I forget the timing of this. So I'm not even sure if this happened before or after, uh, but I'm going to just throw it in there. I know that Donald Trump had been asked by a reporter if he had any second thoughts or if he had any regrets regarding the tariffs or the trade war. And Trump's response was something like, well, I always have second thoughts or, you know, I always second guess or have regrets. I forget the exact words. And so there was a story coming out. Oh, you know, Trump is regretting, uh, you know, the trade war or something like that. And so then Donald Trump uh, corrected that, walked those comments back. And he said, look, the only thing I regretted was that I didn't have even higher tariffs, right? So no, I don't regret the tariffs. I regret not making the tariffs even bigger, right? So words to that effect. I mean, obviously this is just upping the rhetoric in the trade war. So the market was way down. And then, you know, Donald Trump puts out this tweet because now he's worried about the stock market going down. So all of a sudden out of the blue, you know, when the market is way down, Trump tweets that we need to judge his stock market gains based on when he was elected, not based on when he was inaugurated, because the market obviously went up a lot uh, after he won. Uh, it basically confounded all the experts who thought the market would tank if Donald Trump was elected. In fact, they may be right. It's just going to tank later than they thought. Uh, but then the market rose because of the perception that obviously he's going to be much more friendly to the markets than Hillary Clinton would have been, tax cuts, deregulation. So we did get a big rally uh, between the election day and inauguration day, and then the market continued to rally since inauguration day. In fact, I think since Trump was inaugurated, Dow or the S&P rather has gained another 35 or 36 percent, which would normally be considered a lot. But then when you compare it with gold, the price of gold after today's rise, and I'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast, but the price of gold is actually up a little bit more than the gain in the S&P 500 since Trump was inaugurated. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, right? For all the talk about how much the stock market has gone up under Trump, gold has actually gone up more. So Trump is actually making gold great again. Now, of course, I put that tweet out and somebody responded, hey, wait a minute, Peter, it's not fair. You know, you got to go look to uh, Inauguration Day. I mean, not Inauguration Day, Election Day. And yes, since Election Day uh, 2016, the U.S. stock market is still beating the price of gold. But, I, you know, I got I to gotta start the comparison somewhere. Right now, gold is beating the S&P since Trump's inauguration. I'm confident that by the end of this calendar year, Gold will be beating the S&P since Trump's election as well. And if it doesn't make it before the end of this year, it will do it before the end of the Trump term. In fact, I am confident that by the end of the Trump term, gold will have dramatically outperformed the U.S. stock market since Trump was elected, not just since he was inaugurated, but since he was elected. In fact, there is a reasonable chance that all of the gains that the U.S. stock market has enjoyed since Trump was elected could be lost by the time he finishes his first term. 
in, in which case the price of gold would have actually gone way up while Trump was president, while the stock market went down. In fact, the only way that the stock market will not surrender all of those gains is if the Fed goes back to quantitative easing, goes back to zero on interest rates, something that they easily could do. And if they do those things, they will perhaps put a floor beneath the stock market, but they will blow away the ceiling on the price of gold. Anything the Fed does to stop the stock market from falling will make the price of gold go up much more. And in fact, the price of silver up even more than gold. And again, I'm going to get to gold and silver a little bit later in the podcast. I want to kind of finish up on uh, what I was talking about. But anyway, so Trump sees the stock market going down and he goes, okay, I better put out a tweet to remind everybody how much the stock market is up since I've been president, right? Because now it's going down, but we want to keep everything in, in perspective. But again, I think this is a mistake for Trump to hang his presidency uh, or hitch it to the wagon of the stock market. Because if he is going to claim credit for all the gains in the stock market, right, my stock market gains, as if, you know, he owns them. But if he's going to claim credit for the market when it's going up, well, then he's got to accept responsibility for the market when it's going down. And that means if the market is going down as voters are going to the polls, well, they're going to blame Donald Trump. But then shortly after the stock market, you know, really bottomed out, Donald Trump, I guess, at a press conference, or I forget, he was talking to reporters, and all of a sudden, he says that he got a call in the middle of the night, late at night, right, I guess would be early morning, right, in China, but he got a call from the Chinese, and they want to talk. They're ready to come back to the table. So after all of this tough talk over the weekend, how China's never going to surrender, right, they're going to they're gonna fight till the bitter end, all of a sudden, they're calling up Donald Trump. Okay, you know, you win. Let, we, let's talk. We're, we're going to do a deal, right? So Donald Trump says, I got this talk and, you know, we're going to go back to the table and everything is great. And the stock market turned around. And by the time we opened on Monday morning, I think the Dow futures were up 200 points. So we had a 600 point reversal based on Trump telling the markets that the Chinese were ready to talk, that he got a call, like a desperate call, late at night, uh, you win, I'm coming to the table, right, this, this, this conversation. The problem is the conversation never took place. Right now, I don't know if Donald Trump just deliberately lied about having this conversation or maybe he dreamt about it. Maybe he actually got the call after he fell asleep because it was late at night. So maybe Trump falls asleep and in his sleep, he dreams about this call that he gets from the Chinese. And so, you know, when he wakes up or, you know, he tells the reporters about it. actually, no, he 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 had to tell somebody because he told everybody about it late at night when he got the call. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Uh but what's even more ridiculous about it is the markets don't even care because by Monday, it was obvious that the call never took place. I mean, A, the Chinese denied the call, right? You had this reporter, I forget the guy's name, but he's pretty uh, knowledgeable uh, in China. And he tweeted out that, you know, to his knowledge, no such call ever took place. But I was watching a press conference and Donald Trump was there and Steve Mnuchin was there and there was a reporter who asked Donald Trump, point blank, did you get this call? Right? He had to ask him a couple of times because he keeps evading the question. The question is, did China actually call you? And you know, as you, as you not only implied, but you basically said you got this call uh, from the Chinese. And then Mnuchin basically interrupts and he answers for the president. And basically he doesn't really answer. He says, yeah, well, we always get calls. We're always having discussions. 
but doesn't specifically deal with the question that was asked. Did you get a call last night? His answer was, well, the president always has calls. We're always having discussions. Yes, I know that. But did you get that particular phone call that evening that the president talked about? And they didn't answer that. They just moved on. And if you look at their faces and expressions and what they're doing, obviously Donald Trump lied. And again, either he lied or he dreamt or he hallucinated, but no such call ever happened. But the stock market turned around based on that call. Now, I mean, maybe you could say that this is stock market manipulation. I mean, Donald Trump was staring at the futures markets going down, and he said, what can I do? Well, let me say something to turn the futures around. I'll say I got this call from the Chinese, and they want to come back to the table, right? But even though it's obvious now that the president lied, the market didn't surrender the gains that were a function of that lie. So basically, when it comes to uh, you know the markets, they, they don't give a damn whether it's true or not. Right, just as long as they get a positive uh, announcement to trade on, then the traders are going to buy it. Just like when I mentioned on my podcast on Friday, we found out that you know pretty much all of the non-farm payroll numbers were bogus. Uh, that the average number was actually exaggerated by over forty thousand jobs. So forty thousand fewer jobs were created each and every month than the government told us for an entire year, and no one even cares, right? Because all that matters is what number did they release. At the time, everybody was betting on it. The fact that all the numbers were wrong doesn't even matter. And in fact, I'm sure that when we get the next non-farm payroll report, people are going to take that number and trade on it as if it was true and ignore the fact that it might not be true at all. Who knows what the actual number is? Because a year later, the whole thing can be revised and you find out that what the government said is completely wrong. Now, also what happened on Sunday night as soon as the markets started to trade, right, on these fears of escalating trade war, and the, the Dow futures were down three, 400 points, gold immediately was up over 20 bucks. In fact, the intraday high on gold, probably in the first half hour of overnight trading or the first hour, right, this is early morning, you know, Australia trading, not even, I don't even know if Japan had opened. But gold got above 1550. It got maybe to 1555 or 1556. But when the, S- when the S&P futures turned around, based on Trump's saying that he got this call that never happened from the Chinese, gold turned around. And so even though gold was up like 27 bucks in the first half hour, hour of trading, it actually surrendered all of those gains. It opened about flat on the day and then went negative. And I think by the end of the day, it was up a couple of bucks. But it, we surrendered almost all those gains. And the stock market did have a, a positive gain on on Monday. And that sentiment kind of spilled over into today. We were up early on, but then we sold off and the Dow uh, managed to lose 120 points today. But the real damage was in the Russell 2000. That was down 1.35%, a much bigger move. This index is getting much, much closer now to bear market territory. I said on last week's podcast that I thought the Russell 2000 had a good chance of moving into bear market territory this week. And we were down, I think, 16% at the end of last week. We're now down about 16.4%. So we're just, you know, we had to lose back some of what we gained on Monday based on that bogus report of this Chinese conversation. But the real movement today, the real significant action today 
was in the gold and silver market. Although I wanted to mention the dollar, you know, the U.S. dollar, I forgot to talk about on Friday. The dollar sold off on Friday, dollar index. Uh, and then today it was, uh, you know, a little bit firmer. We're back at 98. So the dollar is not really uh, weakening against uh, other foreign currencies. In fact, most people are still talking about the strong dollar and that we have a strong dollar. Even Donald Trump keeps talking about the fact that we have a strong dollar. Now, Trump is bothered by the fact that we have a strong dollar uh, and he wishes it wasn't as strong, but he keeps talking about the strong dollar and everybody acknowledges that the dollar is strong. The problem is the dollar is not strong. The price of gold going up shows you that the dollar is not strong. Gold was up $16 an ounce today. Uh, we closed at 1542.50. This is the highest close in over six years for the price of gold. But the real star today was silver. Silver was up 53 cents, $18.17. It's been a while now since silver was above $18. And if you have been listening to my podcast, you know that I have been pounding the table on silver. I've been telling people that silver is the key. Uh, it is you know, really cheap relative to gold. In fact, it was better than 90 to 1. You needed more than 90 ounces of silver to buy a single ounce of gold. That was an all-time record low for the price of silver. Now we're at 85, right? The ratio has moved back in silver's favor, but you still need 85 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. That is historically extremely cheap. In fact, the only time it was cheaper was when it was 90. Right, so it's still a great buy. I've been telling people, even at Shift Gold, we have actually been calling clients who we know own gold, and we have been having them sell us back their gold and buy silver because you can get so much silver for your gold right now that it is a real bargain. Right, Silver has never been this cheap, and so if you have gold and don't have any silver, it makes sense to buy some silver with your gold. And even after today's move, I would still say that that trade makes sense. And I have been you know, talking to my clients at Euro-Pacific uh, Capital about silver stocks, about the reasons to be buying silver stocks, because if you're bullish on gold, you need to be bullish on silver too. And I said on one of my podcasts not too long ago, when I noticed the turnaround, when I finally noticed that silver started to outperform gold, I basically said, this is it. Gold is firing on all cylinders because now we had the mining stocks outperforming the metal and then we had silver outperforming gold. And that is what always happens in a bull market. The stocks lead the metal and silver leads gold, right? In the bear market, right, silver was way underperforming gold. We now are in a bull market. The problem is very few people realize that we are in a bull market. You know, while I'm talking about shift gold, the sales at shift gold, are still running about 80% below where they were before Trump won, maybe 70 or 80%. And from what our wholesalers are telling us, it's not a unique story. I mean, we're actually gaining market share. We're being told that we're actually doing better relative to our competition and that our competition has lost even more, that their sales are even down bigger. Maybe they're down 90%. People are not buying gold and silver, at least not in the United States. Look at the increase in the price. Gold bottomed at 1050 at the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016. It's almost 1550 That's a $500 an ounce increase. That's a 50% increase in the price of gold, yet nobody's buying it. 
And I don't think you're really going to see the public moving into gold until it's over $2,000 an ounce. And it's going to get there. You know, no question about it that it's going to get there. And when it is, we'll start to see more people buying. I don't know where silver is going to be. I mean, silver, the high on silver was 50 bucks. That's when, when gold hit 1900 silver hit 50 And I think that once silver gets above 20 which we're now less than $2 away from $20 silver, but I think silver can move from 20 bucks to 50 bucks very quickly, very quickly. You know, obviously, it's always hard to make these, uh, you know, price predictions. You know, people now are, are making a big deal of the fact that I said gold could hit $5,000 an ounce. Oh, Peter said gold could hit $5,000 an ounce in a few years. Yes, I said that. I didn't know exactly how many years it would take. But at the time I did that, when the Fed was doing QE1 and QE2 and gold was at 16, 1700 I thought the rally would continue. I didn't see this big correction that brought gold all the way back to 1000 Okay, nobody's perfect. But the bottom line is, I think my assessment of the monetary problem that the Fed had created was correct. It's just that everybody else's assessment was wrong. And because there are a lot more people who were wrong than the few people who were right, I'm not the only person, we had a big pullback in the price of gold. But as far as I'm concerned, that was a gift from heaven. I own a lot more gold today than I did then. I own a lot more gold and silver stocks now than I did then. I have a lot more clients now than I did then. They're better positioned. This has been a gift horse, right? And they always say, you know, don't look those in the mouth. And a lot of people were doing that. They should have been saying, hey, this is a, a great opportunity to be able to buy all this gold and silver at lower prices knowing what we know, right? Because all the fools that were selling their gold and silver didn't know what we knew. They thought QE worked. They thought 0% interest rate worked. They thought the Fed could shrink their balance sheet. They thought the Fed could normalize interest rates. Well, they were wrong. They didn't realize that we checked into a monetary roach motel. They didn't realize that we were doing QE infinity, right, that the Fed was going back to zero. I knew that, and so I was continuing to buy gold and buy silver and buy these mining stocks and recommending that my clients do the same thing and wait it out. I don't care if I know I'm right. I don't care how long I have to wait to get paid, especially if I know that the longer I wait, the more I get paid. Now, obviously, you know, we're not talking decades. I mean, I can't wait forever, right? I can't let my children make all the money after I die. I, I think if I end up being early, let's say my gold uh, 5,000 call. I said gold could hit 5,000 in a few years. So I made that call, when was it, 2011, 2012, right? So let's say gold hits 5,000 by 2025. So what? You know, instead of hitting 5,000 by 2017 or 2018. So if it's seven years later, big deal. Who cares? Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't make me wrong. Right? It makes me early, but it also makes me rich because it means that I had more time to accumulate more gold and silver stocks than I would have had the price went up much faster. But the people who are wrong are the people who said it'll never get there, who didn't understand why it was going to get there, who still don't understand why. While they're making fun of me because I predicted $5,000 gold and it's only $1,500, what they don't realize is it's going to $5,000 and they still haven't bought it. Meanwhile, I'm loading up and I'm loading up on silver and loading up on these stocks. So I think everything that's happening right now just validates everything that I've been saying all of these years about why we need to buy 
gold and silver, right? And what we, why we need to buy these mining stocks. Because if you look at these mining stocks, pull up charts and look at these things. Even though they have moved up substantially, and pretty much all the stocks we own are making 52-week highs today, right? You can look at them in multi-year highs. But these highs are insignificant. Take a, you know, zoom back and look at the chart going back 10 years. You can barely tell these stocks have moved up. Even though some of these stocks have moved up 50, 100%, you can barely tell on a long-term chart that they're off the lows. Look how high the highs are. These stocks have got a long way to go. Is any Wall Street firm, is anybody coming out and putting a buy recommendation on any of these stocks? No. Nobody is telling their clients to buy these stocks. That's why you need to buy them now. I mean, obviously, once Wall Street starts putting buy recommendations on these stocks, then the moves are going to be even bigger, but those moves are going to be starting from a much higher level. So rather than waiting... For that to happen, just get in. And again, you know, don't think you've missed out, right? I, you know, if you were one of these guys, you know, like Harry Dent, and you're waiting for $600 gold or $800 gold or $1,000 gold, and I kept saying, it's not worth the wait, right? While you're waiting to buy it cheaper, gold can run away, and you end up paying more for it. It didn't matter. I don't care if gold goes down first because I know where it's going ultimately. But you know what? Now we know it didn't go down first. It went up first. So if you were waiting for $1,000 gold, $800 gold, stop waiting and just buy $1,500 gold or $1,540 gold because that's better than buying $1,800 gold or $2,000 gold or $5,000 gold. The longer you wait, I think the more it's going to cost you, right? So you got to get in. But the stocks, the stocks are so cheap and there's so much leverage to the price of uh, stocks. I mean, if we get a 50% move up in the price of gold from here, I would not be surprised to see a 500 to 1,000% move in the value of gold stocks, right? Now, obviously, if I'm wrong and the price of gold falls, well, you're, you're going to get hurt more uh, if you get into gold stocks. That's why you only invest money that you can afford to speculate with. But if you're looking to speculate at all, that's where you want to go. I mean, I still have all these people saying, oh, I want to speculate in Bitcoin. Look, even if you think Bitcoin can go up 5x or 10x, which I don't, I doubt there's that much upside left in Bitcoin. But you know what? There is that much upside in gold stocks and silver stocks. In fact, there's more upside in gold stocks and silver stocks. And in fact, it's far more likely that that upside is going to be realized. Meanwhile, there's a hell of a lot more downside risk in Bitcoin. Bitcoin can go to zero, right? These stocks are not going to zero. Right? They, they, maybe they'll get cut in half if I'm wrong and gold goes down. Maybe more. They ain't going to zero. So I think if you just want to look at the upside versus the downside. Now, of course, you could just buy physical silver. Physical silver can still go up fivefold from here. Easy can go up fivefold. Maybe tenfold. Silver's never going to go to zero, no matter what. Right. So you know, if you want to speculate, that's where you do it. And the interesting thing is, as I am recording this podcast. Bitcoin is, you know, trading around 10,100 to 10,200. That's exactly where it was uh, late last week before everything blew up uh, on, on Friday, right? Before you had the 7-800 point drop in the Dow, before you had the escalation of the trade war. And I know there were a lot of articles that were written on Friday about how Bitcoin was showing that it was a safe haven, right? Because it went up like 2%. On, uh, on Friday, right? Just like gold. So Bitcoin went from like 10,200 to 10,500, right? Big deal. I mean, people getting excited about a 2% move up 
in the, the price of Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoins, guys, they make fun of me when I got excited about a 2% rise in the price of gold, but now they're getting excited about a 2% rise in the price of Bitcoin. 2% means nothing in Bitcoin. That's just noise. That's like normal trading. To say that Bitcoin was a safe haven, people rushed into Bitcoin because it was up 2%. Basically, that means nobody rushed into Bitcoin. If people were really rushing into Bitcoin, it had been up 10%. 2% is every day that you get a move like that. But meanwhile, Bitcoin has already surrendered everything that it gained uh, on that Friday. It's actually lower now than it started. But gold has built on its gains. Um, silver has built on its gains. Gold prices have moved up maybe 3%. Silver more than that. You know, And look at the other safe havens. The Swiss franc is higher than it was on Friday. Japanese yen. So people that are saying that Bitcoin is a safe haven. Nobody bought it, right? All the monetary safe havens went up since Friday, except Bitcoin. The Swiss franc went up. The Japanese yen went up. Silver went up. Gold went up. Bitcoin went down. Now, it didn't go down a lot. Went down a little, but it didn't go down. It didn't go up at all. And the key is, if it can't go up, right, if Bitcoin is not rising on all this good news, I mean, you couldn't have a better story scripted for Bitcoin, right? Everything is happening that should be driving the price of Bitcoin up and it's not going up. What does that mean? This is basic, you know, markets 101. If a market will not go up on good news, it's over, right? It's got no place to go but down. Because if you can't go up on good news, well, <clears throat> what are you going to do? And then you're going to eventually get bad news, and you're going to go down big time on bad news. And the worst part about all these people who are in Bitcoin is while they're in Bitcoin waiting and hoping, they're missing out on the opportunity to buy silver, right? They're not buying any of it. And, you know, when I point this out on Twitter, all they want to do is go back to the beginning of the year and say, but Bitcoin is outperforming gold since the beginning of the year. Okay, fine. That's true. How many times do you want to say that? Because even if Bitcoin loses half its value from here, it may still be outperforming gold since the beginning of the year. But do you want to ride it down? And do you want to stay in your Bitcoin until it's down on the year? Then what good is it? Because it's going to happen. I still believe that Bitcoin is going to lose everything it gained this year. And then Bitcoin will be lower than it was when it began the year, right? That that low, Bitcoin's low is about, what, 3,300? I think we're going to take that out. We're going to take out 3,000. And then what are they going to say? What if Bitcoin is below 3,000 and, and silver is at 25 or 30 bucks, right? So not only did they lose all this money in Bitcoin, riding it down, but they missed out on all the gains that they would have made had they cashed in. Uh, their Bitcoin and bought some silver. Now, it's not too late, right? Bitcoin is still above 10,000. You can go to shift gold. You could use BitPay, right? You could take some Bitcoin if you got them and buy some silver. If you really want to, you know, get a 10-bagger, I think you got a better chance on doing it with silver than doing it with Bitcoin. And you got an even better chance if you want to set up an account with Euro Pacific Capital and get into some mining stocks or get into my gold fund, you know, Euro Pacific Gold Fund. EPGFX, we're about 11% silver stocks, right? I mean, it's, you know, and a lot of the gold stocks have silver in there. They mine silver and gold, so you've got some exposure there. But you have so much upside potential, real upside potential in the mining sector. Don't waste your money on pie in the sky, you know, never going to materialize, you know, phony upside potential in these cryptos. Look, a lot of people made money in cryptos who got in early. 
Nobody who's getting in now is getting in early. If you're getting in now, you're simply enabling the people who did get out, get in early to cash out and make a bunch of money, right? You're a bag holder. Well, you don't want to be a bag holder. If you want to actually make money, cash out, even if you're even if you're taking a loss, even if you're one of those people who were skeptical about Bitcoin and finally bought in at 15,000, 18,000, cut your losses. You know, you can make your losses back in gold or silver or mining stock. You don't have to make your losses back in Bitcoin. You can make your Bitcoin losses back in gold or silver, right? You can, you know, get out of fool's gold and get into real gold because if you're sitting in that same casino hoping you're going to get your money back, you're never going to get your money back and then you're going to miss out on the opportunity of actually making money. There's a real opportunity that's there, right? And and the the, the crypto story is correct when it comes to the problems for the dollar, the problems for fiat currencies. Look, we're going to have a monetary crisis. We are going to have a dollar crisis. There's no question in my mind that is going to happen. So the people who are buying Bitcoin because they're worried about a dollar crash or they're worried about fiat currencies, I 100% agree. But the way this is going to resolve itself is the world is going back on a gold standard. That's it. Right. Central banks are not going to start holding Bitcoin as their reserves. They don't have any Bitcoin now, nor are they going to buy it in the future. They already have gold. Gold used to be the reserve before we went to the dollar. We only went to the dollar because it was backed by gold, because it was convertible into gold. We went off the gold standard. The dollar was an IOU nothing. It does not work. Right. You cannot back up your currency with somebody else's currency that's also not backed up. Right? You can't back up one person's paper with somebody else's paper. You need gold. Gold needs to be backing up all of the currencies that governments issue. That's the only way that it can work. What we have now can't work. You know, I think I've mentioned this before, but I always think of the original Superman movie, uh, at least original from my era with Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. When you have that scene, the initial scene, when Margot Kidder is up on the roof of the Trade Center, and she's in a helicopter, and then the thing, the helicopter has an accident, and, and, and Lois Lane comes falling down, and then Superman swoops up and catches her, and he looks at her in the eyes and says, don't worry, ma'am, I've got you. And then she looks right at Superman and says, you got me, who's got you? Right? That's what I always think of when the dollar is the reserve for the euro or the Japanese yen. Right. So the dollar is backing the yen, but who's backing the dollar? Nobody. There's nothing there. When there was gold there, okay, then there was gold backing uh, the yen or the euro. But now there's nothing backing the dollar. So if the dollar backs the euro, then there's nothing backing the euro. So everybody is going to have to move back to a gold standard. This is the only thing that makes sense. This is inevitable. And in order for the world to be back on a gold standard, the price of gold is not going to be $1,500 an ounce. It's not even going to be $5,000. It's probably not even going to be $10,000. It's going to be a number north of that. And the longer the world waits to go back on the gold standard, the more money that's going to be printed before we go back to a gold standard, the higher the price of gold is going to have to be set to make it all work, right? So you need to, people need to load up on it now, you know, tune out on all this nonsense that you're hearing in the mainstream media, uh, you know, Call up Shift Gold, get some silver in particular, set up a gold money account. If you haven't already set one up, you know, you could buy silver at gold money as well, not just gold. And of course, sometimes if you buy a lot of silver, you know, it's hard to store it. Well, you know, they store it for a very, very low cost 
at, at gold money. So you could buy your silver. In fact, if you have gold at gold money now and you don't have any silver, you can go and you can exchange very efficiently. You can exchange some of your gold for silver. And also they make it easy if you have Bitcoin and you want to exchange your Bitcoin for gold or silver, you could do that too. And that's an even better thing to do. Because if you look at how much gold and silver you can buy with your Bitcoin now, there's a lot. You can buy a lot of gold and silver relative to what you're going to be able to buy in the future when you can't buy any, right? Because if Bitcoin is practically worthless, you're not going to be able to buy uh, hardly any gold or silver. But right now, there's a fool who's willing to pay over $10,000 for one single Bitcoin. Uh, so sell it to him and then take the money that you get and turn it into gold or silver or, you know, use it to uh, buy into the mining stocks, either directly or by... Uh, uh, investing in my gold fund, the Euro Pacific Gold Fund. Remember, again, you know, read the prospectus carefully, right? There's a prospectus there. There's all sorts of risks when you invest in in mining stocks. So make sure that you understand the risks before you invest money. And past performance is no guarantee of future success. But you know, I wanted to talk a little bit more, elaborate rather on something that I mentioned on last week's podcast because it just really goes to show how the crowd psychology works when it comes to markets, when it comes to bubbles. And this one in particular is the real estate bubble. Just in my my town, my where I live in Connecticut, in Western Connecticut, I talked about, you know, the, the prices going way down on Zillow. But I wanted to just take two houses, and this is typical houses. I just want to just show, uh, go through an example. Because I remember when I moved to Connecticut in 2005, right, I moved from California to Connecticut, 2005. And I initially settled in a town called New Canaan. Uh, and I was renting a house in New Canaan, Connecticut. And then I ended up getting divorced. And, and so then I, I, I rented a place, a smaller place in, uh, in Stamford. Then I moved to Westport and I rented a place in Westport for a while. I'm re- and the reason I was renting houses was because, you know, this is 2006 now, 2007, is because, you know, I thought that real estate prices would fall. But I remember everybody in Connecticut thought I was nuts, right? I mean, people were just so in, uh, proud of their homes. I remember I had a cousin of mine who still lives in, in New Canaan, and he used to tell me that he was embarrassed to tell people how much his house was worth because he felt bad that he, this house was had so much value. But I remember even talking to some people who had their houses for sale and they were just so glib about, well, you know, you don't want to buy it now. You know, if you want to buy it, it's just going to be more expensive in the future. The price is always going to go up. I mean, everybody living in Fairfield County, Connecticut in 2005 and 2006, when I was looking at real estate, you know, and sometimes I just looked at places for the fun of it. I used to even talk in one of my presentations, I talked when I was uh, renting an apartment in Stamford after I moved out of my house that I was renting in New Canaan. And I, and I, and I, and I was at this, uh, a, an apartment, the townhomes right next door were for sale. And, and so I went over there and I looked at them and I looked at the price and whatever they were, they were maybe like 600,000, 700,000. These are just little townhomes, right? Very small places. And so I remember asking a realtor because I, you know, I looked at, you know, what the mortgage would be if I bought this place and, you know, the, the houses, they were run down, they were older, they were dark. I lived right next door in a brand new building, right? Beautiful building. We had a concierge, we had a gym with a trainer there. There was like a, 
you know, they, 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 they would take your dry clean. They had like a video rental place. They had a lot of stuff like amenities that were there. I was on the top. I had a duplex. I was overlooking the water. I, you know, the other place you couldn't even see the water. I had beautiful views of, of, of the harbor. I had my sailboat docked right down below. I can see my sailboat from my, uh, from my, my condo. And I mentioned to the, the realtor, I said, you know, why would I buy this place? Because I'm renting right next door. You know, I walked over. I didn't even have to drive. And so I said, you know, I'm renting right next door. And the rent that I'm paying is less than the mortgage would be if I bought this, this townhome. And so why, why should I do that? Why would anybody want to buy one of these townhomes when you can get basically the same square footage right next door, much nicer, much newer for less money, you know, and, and then the, um, the, the agent that was there said, well, you know, when you move out of your apartment, you're not going to have any equity. And I said, well, yeah, well, what do you mean? He said, well, when you buy this condo, when you move, right, when you sell, you're going to have all this equity. And I'm saying, well, where's the equity going to come from? And he said, well, the price is going to rise. You know, it's going to appreciate. And I said to this real estate agent, why the hell should it appreciate? Didn't you hear what I just told you? There's much nicer places right next door that you could rent right now. So you're telling me that if this appreciates, that means someone's going to pay an even higher price than I'm going to pay and ignore the great value right next door that they could rent. They're just going to overpay for this house by an even more amount. And he's like, yeah. Because then when they sell, they'll be able to make money. So in other words, what this real estate agent believed about real estate is that you buy real estate, even though it's more expensive to pay the mortgage than to pay the rent on a much nicer place right next door, that you suffer through living in a dump when you could pay less to live in a nice place. But the reason you do that is because in the future, a greater fool is going to pay even more money not to live in a nice place but to live in a dump, right? That was the mentality, right? Real estate prices could never fall. They were just going to go up and up and up, right? And people were laughing at me. Peter, why are you throwing money away on, on rent? And I would tell people, I'm not throwing it away. I'm saving money by not overpaying for a house. You're throwing away money on property taxes. You're throwing away money on depreciation. You know, the dumbest thing I did financially with respect to real estate is I eventually bought my house in Weston. I bought the house. You know, I was in the middle of my Senate campaign, right? And I didn't feel like moving because the landlord said, look, you know, I'm not going to renew your lease. I really want to sell the place. And, and so I was like, I had a lot of furniture in there. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. You know, I paid like half of what it was listed for originally because it was on the market for years. I, you know, I paid, you know, I mean, I was, ha I paid half of what he paid in 2002, I bought it for maybe 60, 70% less than he was listing it, but I still overpaid. The house has lost a lot of value since I bought it. But, you know, I really didn't care at that point. I mean, you know, it was a smaller part of my net worth. And I was like, you know what, whatever, if I lose money on this house, it was more about the convenience of owning it and not moving again. Uh, but if, if, if it was important to me, right, if it was a financial decision, if I really cared about it, then I, I would have moved and I would have rented again. But I want to actually go over a couple of houses. So one in particular, just so people, you can really appreciate now what's happened. Because remember, 2005, everybody in Fairfield County was ecstatic. The prices had been going up. People thought they could never go down. And I was a fool for thinking that prices could fall. I was a fool 
for renting, right? This was the market, right? But this is going to show you how wrong crowds can be because this doesn't just apply to real estate. It applies to everything from stocks to cryptocurrencies, right? We're seeing this and I see it in all over the place. But anyway, here is a house and you can find this house yourself on Zillow.com in Weston, Connecticut. This particular house is at 31 Hemlock Ridge in Weston. It's a five-bedroom, nine-bath house, 5,853 square feet on two acres of land. Right? The house is for sale for $1,299,000. Now, if you go back and you look at the price history of this house, you will see that the house was purchased in 1996. That's almost 25 years ago. The house was purchased for $1,970,000 25 years ago. It's for sale today at $1,299, and there's still no buyers 25 years later. Now, think about all the inflation that has taken place over the last 25 years. Yet this house is offered for 35% less than what the guy that lives in it paid. 25 years ago. And of course, if you look at the house, I can tell you that those are not the bathrooms that were in that house 25 years ago. That's not the kitchen that was in that house 25 years ago. That's not the roof that was put on that house 25 years ago. A lot of work has been put into that house so that the owner's cost is much more than $197,000. But now let's look at the history of this guy trying to sell his house. This guy put the house on the market on May 8th in 2011. So that's over eight years ago. The guy has been trying to sell his house for eight years and he still owns it. He listed it for $3,495,000, right? Okay, I'm listing it for $349,500. Okay, that's a decent profit over what he paid, right? That's about, um, what, 50% more than he paid uh, 15 years earlier. Puts the house up for sale, right? A year later, takes it off the market. No one bought it, right? Then, like this is like a trick the realtors have. Hey, if you can't sell your house, take it off the market and then wait a while and then list it again, right? So you remove the stigma, right? Oh, now it's a new listing, right? So then he relists it for sale about four or five months later and now it's 20% less, 2,795,000. He leaves it on the market for a year, removes the listing. Puts it back on a few months later. Now it's down to $2,250,000. Another 20% reduction from the last price, right? Then it's still on the market. Cuts the price again to $2.1 million. Cuts it again to $1.899 million. Cuts it again to $1.799 million. Now this is in 2016. He's making these cuts, right? Cuts it now to $1.699 million. Slashes $100,000 off. Then May of 2017, the house is removed from the market. He takes it off the market. It was $1,699,999. Oh, that's a real bargain with all those nines, right? Oh, I'm not paying $1.7 million. I'm paying $1,699,999, right? But anyway, that didn't work. Nobody bought it. Then he waited. Now, this time he waited all the way until May of 2019 to put it on the market, right? That's this year. He puts it on the market. Now he puts it on for $1,599,000. And you know what? No one bought it there. A month later, he dropped it to 1499 
And then a couple of weeks later, he drops it to 1,399,000. And then about three weeks later, he drops it to 1,299,000. And it's been there for the last month, and no one has bought it. Now, what price does this is this house going to sell? I mean, I wonder if it'll even sell for over a million dollars. I doubt it. If you look at all the other properties that are on the market in in Weston, I mean. Can you imagine how much money this guy would have saved if he would have rented that house? He probably could have rented this house for $5,000 a month, four or $5,000 a month. You know how much money he'd have saved if he'd have rented the house, all the money he spent buying it, maintaining it? And you know what? Look at the property taxes. You can see the property tax history. The property taxes on this house are about $40,000 a year. In fact, if you look at the history of the property tax, the property taxes have been going up as the value of the house has been coming down, right? Because in 2016, right, the property tax was 39924 Now it's up to 42874 In fact, if you look at the property tax now in relation to the offering price of the house, it's like almost, it's like 4%. I mean, who the hell is going to buy this house with a 4% a year property tax? See, this is the dynamic that's now going on in a town like Weston because the, the public schools are very expensive. They're very good schools in Weston, but of course, a lot of money to run them. And what happens is as property prices come down, in order for the town to raise the revenue that it needs to, to, to pay for the schools, they have to raise the rates on the houses to get the money that they need. So as houses prices come down, the taxes go up. And so now you're looking at the taxes 4% of the value of the house, but now it's a huge liability because anyone that buys this house buys that tax obligation. So the obligation to pay taxes reduces the value of that property. But every time the value of the property goes down, the taxes go up. I can imagine that if this house is still on the market a year from now, and it's a million dollars, and now the property tax goes up to 45000 well, now it's 4.5%. And then what if the house goes down to 800000 and the property tax goes up to 50000 right? The lower the price falls, the higher the taxes have to be as a percentage of the value for the town to get the revenue it needs. But then nobody could buy the house because now a person that is going to buy an $800,000 house doesn't want a $50,000 a year property tax bill. So, I mean... But the point is, this could not be worse, right? You're talking about a 35% decline in the value of the property over 35 years when the guys paid a fortune in property taxes, spent a fortune on maintenance, on improvements, on insurance, right? This has been a gigantic money pit. I mean, anybody who's owned a home in Connecticut has lost a ton of money. Despite how excited everybody was when I moved there in 2005, 2006, these houses are a fraction of what they were worth in 2005 and 2006. In fact, here's another one that I uh, picked up as an example of a more expensive home that actually sold, right? Somehow this guy managed to sell his house. This is a house that sold. It's in Weston, 35 Kettle Creek Road. Five bedrooms, seven and a half bath, 12,600 square feet. Big house. Big house. Look at that house. Very, very uh, well-constructed home, right? Very expensive to make that home. A developer developed that property on spec, right? 
and it was completed and listed for sale in August of 2009, right? So, you know, after the financial crisis, after the collapse, the house was completed and it was put on the market for $7.6 million. And it took 10 years to sell that property. And here's how it went. He put it on the market for $7.6 million. And it stayed on the market for three years until it was removed from the market in 2012 and put back on the market in 2013. And the price was cut to $5,850,000. And it stayed at that price until the listing was removed uh, the following year. And then it was listed back again in 2015 for $4.5 million. Then they dropped the price a million to three and a half million in 2016. Then they removed the listing. Then they relisted it in October of 2017. Now it's down to 2999000 It stayed at that price until they lowered the price to $2.9 million. I mean, what, 90000 off, big deal. That wasn't enough. Then they dropped it uh, a couple of months later to $2,495,000. Then it had a pending sale. So there was a sale potentially at $2,495,000. It fell through back on the market. You know, it probably fell through because it didn't appraise. And so the sale fell through. And then it eventually sold in December of 2018 for $1,925,000. That's about a 75% decline over the 10-year period that he tried to sell the house for $7.6 million. Now, I can tell you that over those 10 years, this guy must have paid at least, the builder must have paid at least $600,000 in property taxes because that's what I pay. I pay over $60,000 in property taxes on my home in Weston. So I'm sure this guy was paying about $60,000 a year on that house, except he wasn't living there. The house was for sale. It was a brand new spec house that no one ever lived in and, and it was just sitting there. So that's another $600,000. So if you subtract that $600,000 from the one million nine that he got, he only got about one million three. Now, over 10 years, though, it costs a lot more than just your property taxes. You have a house for sale. You have to maintain that house. First of all, you have to heat it in the winters. Otherwise, the pipes freeze. What does that cost? But what about the grounds? You've got all this lawn. You've got to maintain the lawn. You've got to keep it looking nice. Right? And you've got to uh, pay all the snow renewal in, in the winter and all the upkeep. And it's very, I bet that this guy uh, was spending not 60000 a year. It probably cost $100,000 a year to keep this house. So then you got to subtract a million dollars. So he basically got $900,000 for a house that he built and tried to sell for $7.6 million. I'm sure this is a 12,500 uh, square foot house. 12,600 square foot. If he built it for $300 a square foot, which I'm sure he at least cost him $300 a square foot times 12,600, it cost him $3.7 million to build. He probably paid at least 500,000 to buy the land at a minimum. So he's into the house for over $4 million. That's his cost. How much did this guy lose? This guy lost his ass on a piece of real estate. And believe me, nobody thought you could lose money on real estate. Well, you can lose a shitload of money on residential real estate. People are losing a lot of money on real estate. People are in denial in Connecticut because none of these houses or most of these houses are not even going to sell.
They are on the market for a fraction of what it would cost to build the houses, even if you got the land for free and there's still no takers and the prices keep falling. I, w I, I read on Zero Hedge about some house. I forget where it was, somewhere else in Connecticut. It was this huge, like 20,000, 25,000 square foot castle that I think was initially on the market for like eight or nine million dollars and it sold for like a million two. I mean, crazy, crazy, right? You can't get rid of these houses. And the point is that a market that everybody is so excited about and so sure can only go one way, if you wait long enough, right, you can see uh, the folly. You can see the truth. And, you know, the same thing is happening now. People are convinced the U.S. stock market is a great deal. It's not. It only looks like a great deal now because you're at the peak of a bubble looking down. Just like real estate in Connecticut looked like a great deal in 2005 when people are looking back over the last 10 years and thinking that the next 10 years were going to look like the last 10. They were wrong. They looked nothing like the last 10. It was a complete implosion. The same thing is going to happen. The U.S. stock market, the returns over the next 10 years are going to be awful. Same thing is going to happen for cryptocurrencies. The returns are going to be awful, but it's going to be the opposite when it comes to gold, gold mining stocks, emerging markets. A lot of the things that I have been buying for myself and my clients these past 10 years, I think they're going to kill it over the next 10 years. I think the, the investors could not be more wrong about how they perceive things. They are, they are, they are too trapped in the rearview mirror. They have no idea what's going on in front of the windshield, right? And I understood the problems in the Connecticut housing market, in the housing market overall for the country. That's why I was renting at that time. I knew this was a bunch of nonsense. The same thing is happening now. You got to tune it out. You got to understand the fundamentals and don't invest with the herd. You want to fade the herd. When you know that the herd believes something that's wrong, when you know the crowd is completely convinced of something that you know is not true, that it doesn't matter how long uh, it takes for them to figure this out. The bubble is always going to get bigger than you think. Believe me, the real estate bubble got bigger than I thought it was going to get. This bubble, this everything bubble, is bigger than I thought it can get. But that means it's going to pop in a more spectacular way. So bottom line is learn a lesson from this and look at some of these other houses and go back and think about how people were thinking then, and what the reality actually is, right? You could not have convinced. If, if, if you tried to tell people back in 2005 that this was going to be the case, that in 2019, if they still own their home, it would be worth less than half of what it was in 2005. In fact, it would be worth half of what it was when they bought it in 1996. Nobody would have believed you. They would have thought you are completely crazy. But that's exactly what happened. Well, there are a lot of people now that think the things that I'm saying are completely crazy. But you know what? It's going to happen. A lot of the things that I'm saying, they're going to happen exactly the way I say they're going to happen. It's just going to take some time. But in the meantime, we've got an opportunity to position ourselves correctly in the world stock markets, in the world currency markets, and in the precious metals market. Mm -hmm.